He is good, isn't he? Have you enjoyed this day today? Oh my gosh, you guys, come on. It was amazing out there today. It was a beautiful day and we're just grateful for it. Which brings me to something I want to put out to all of you fine folks. We, as the sun begins to shine brighter and hotter, and the rains continue to, uh, what is that saying, Uh, April showers bring May flowers? It does something to the grass, too. I don't know what it does to the grass, but I can just tell you, we've got a lot of grass out there. So, that leads me to this announcement. If you are interested in mowing, landscaping, uh, we've got some some flower beds that we want to... D- develop and grow, and we I- each week for the next couple months at least, we're going to be mowing every single day. So if you have time and you love to weed eat, why are you laughing? If you have time and you love to, to uh, mow, we would love to have you. We're going to have a landscaping crew, so please see me. We're actually going to be cutting grass tomorrow, and I'm just going to tell you right now, we have a 60-inch deck mower. It's amazing. But you're going to have to fight Leah Gwynn to ride that thing. She is an, she's amazing on it. So she's, our, she's the official church mower. But um, we want you. We need you. We want to beautify this place, don't we? This, this, is, this is our church. And so we want to invite you, okay? Is that okay? Anybody want to raise their hand to say they want to do that right now? Going once, going twice. I know you want to see me afterwards. Okay. Wonderful. Okay, and I think that's, that's what we have. Well, Pastor Ray and Gail have taken uh, a little time off. We all need it. We all need a little time away just to refresh ourselves and hit the reset button. Don't you love and appreciate our pastors? We do, and they send their love and their greeting to you. Um, they're, again, they're just spending some time away. And so, uh, but what, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to continue this series that we've been on, Revival Hubs. Um, Tonight is part four, which is on tribes and unity. Tribes and unity. When you hear the word tribe, there's different thoughts that come to mind. And and I'll just tell you, the thought that comes to my mind when I hear tribe, I I think of a red-skinned human being that probably has a band with some feathers sticking out of it and may live in a teepee. And um, may go by the name of Bright Moon or Silver Wolf or something, something cool like that. So I think, of the, I think of a native Indian. Maybe you're, as you hear that, that uh, term, you may, think of, uh, you may think Old Testament. You may think of the 12 tribes of Israel. But tonight we're going to be looking at revival tribes. We'll begin by defining the word tribe and revival tribes. When you look at Webster's Dictionary you'll see that the word tribe means a group of people that includes any family and relatives who have the same language, customs, and beliefs, a group of people who have the same job or interest. So they have, these people have the same language, customs, beliefs, and interests. And so we, this is a working definition that we have, and when we apply that to revival, this is what it looks like. We have a group of people that includes many spiritual families and spiritual, or spiritual relatives who speak the same spiritual language. The first, when we, started, when we kicked off this, this series that we're in, Pastor Dina and Pastor Ray, they, they, taught us, they, they taught us a bit about language. 
They, they talked about our prayer language, an intercess, intercessory, uh, lang- our intercessory prayer language. Pastor Jared, over the past couple weeks, he, we looked at prophetic worship. Again, this is all language. And then we'll be looking as we go further at a, a spiritual awakening. In a revival tribe, there's the customs that we have and what we, sh- and we, and we share. Actions, always behaving and looking. And, and, and it's almost like there's a rhythm of life. And it's just a custom. It's just things that we do and we kind of know why we do it. And it's just a flow that we have. And then beliefs. Beliefs being a feeling of being sure of someone or something that it exists or that it's something that's true. A feeling that something is good and right and has value. This group, a revival tribe has this feeling. They know and they all kind of value the same person and they trust in their worth or the ability of someone. They, they trust in the ability or the value of each other. And then fourthly, our interests. Because there is an interest. Revival tribes, we are sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the harvest. And that there is a harvest. And that there will be a great awakening. And the best is yet to come. Some more characteristics of a revival tribe. It's a spiritually knit together. It's a, it's a family. It's a group of people that have been bound by the Holy Spirit. They understand. They know that... that there's going to be disagreements. and In fact, they agree up front that there's going to be disagreements. You know, I've been a part of several teams, several leadership teams in different organizations, both um, in nonprofit organizations as well as for-profit organizations in churches and outside of churches. And the, the, the team that I'm a part of right now, I have to tell you, it's one of the strongest team-oriented teams that I've been a part of here, right here at Family Worship Center, and I so appreciate that. But even though we're as strong as we are, and we, and we look to each other, and we encourage each other, and we, have, we really do have this revival tribe and this, this strength that's going on, I can assure you that there's a few meetings that, that we will have where there's disagreement. In fact, I've actually been on this, this earth X number of years. I'm going to just leave that as an X I've been on this world for X number of years, and I, can't, I have yet to find one person that agrees with me on 100% of everything. I love this, this, this beautiful woman here. She's awesome. I love this woman right here. And as great of a relationship as we have, and we agree with most things, believe it or not, she doesn't agree with me on everything. That baffles me. <laughs> so... But that's part, revival tribes, they understand that. They know that there's going to be some disagreement, but they agree to, that we're going to work through it. We're going to talk through it. We're going to respect each other, and we're going to honor each other, and we're going to work through this together. So there's a common DNA that they have because they, they understand that their hearts need to be getting knit together for a purpose. We, they understand that and within this revival tribes, there are mothers, there are fathers, there are brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. And all of this is for the vision, that the vision would be executed and would be carried out. About five years ago, I had the privilege of leading a group of about 15 people on a trip to Haiti, a missions trip. It was about two years. I know that some of you, I look at some of the faces, you were here as we raised money for that, you understand that. But there were, it was about two years after a devastating earthquake hit the Port-au-Prince, the capital of Haiti, which is Port-au-Prince. Large city, about 2.5, 2.6 million people in population. 
And the, the Richter scale registered three different earthquakes. That came, it came in a wave. The first one was 7.0. The second one was 5.9. And the third one was a 5.5. And it completely devastated that city. I'm talking chunks of concrete. Two and three and five and six and ten-story buildings crumbled into the road. And it killed, at that time, it killed approximately 316,000 people. Devastation. So we had the privilege, we had the opportunity, we went there and we, were, we went there to, um, to help rebuild and to offer support. It was more of a hands-on type trip. And God uses and we're just grateful that we were able to be a part of that. At one point during this trip, Jim Hudson, and, and actually Jim Hudson came here a few years ago and he, and he ministered. He's the missionary in, in Haiti and I know he's moved on since, but he was there and he's a very, if you met this guy, he's a very black and white kind of guy. Like he will say what he means. There's no disguising it. He doesn't, he doesn't operate in the gray. He's very direct and he's very aggressive with everything in life. And he needed to be, and it served him well with what he does. And he looks at me at one point and he says, Michael, I need you to drive. We're going to be going across town. It's about an hour's drive, and I need you to drive because the driver that we have is unavailable. He can't be with us today. And I thought, yes! <laughs> what an opportunity! This is, there's a bit of adventure in me. I don't know if you know that or not. But I was like, man, what an opportunity. It's chaotic. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a challenge. I'm going to love this. Until when we got in the car... And we were following him. He had a truck. It had a flatbed, and it could carry about 10 people. He had built benches on it. And I had a Toyota SUV. And I got in. As soon as I'm getting in, I'm realizing, oh, my goodness, I don't have a map. I don't have a cell phone that works because all the towers were down. There, was, there, was, there really wasn't, at that time, even two years after, there wasn't even power that it had been restored. And I don't... And I don't what if we get separated? And I, and I remembered on the way in and the different routes that we had taken, the chaos. Because literally when you come, to, I mean, if, if I'm going to travel next to him and I'm going to stay with him, I'm talking, I need to be feet from him. My front bumper needs to be practically touching his back bumper. And at times it was when we came to large intersections. And here we have, if you can just imagine, I'm trying to paint a picture for you. We're there and we're sitting in traffic and there's literally six inches between us. And there's pedestrians and there's mopeds and motorcycles and little vehicles and large vehicles. They will stick the corner of their car in a six-inch period, six-inch space. I was like, you're crazy. Haitians are crazy. But I got determined. He said, whatever you do, don't get separated. So I inched up, and at one point I actually touched his bumper. I mean, it was, like, it was everything against me because I'm a polite driver. Don't say anything. And it was just everything, that, it was against my nature, but we, we did it, we got there. And I have to tell you, it took an intentionality. I had to cling to him. I had to fight for it. There were so many distractions and, and obstacles that were in the way, and it was dangerous. It truly was. When we got there, I literally felt like I had to peel my hand off the steering wheel because it, it was just such an intense drive. And tonight, I want to encourage us. I want that we, that we contend for our relationships that we contend that we, we're intentional and we connect with the people who God has connected us with. I would like to suggest that our purpose is tied to who we do life with, who we connect with on a daily basis as much as it, as much as it is in our purpose and the what our purpose is and what we are to do. Who we live life with is as important as, we, as what we do. And all of us, we, have to, we need to be 
with the right people. And when we're with the right people, it will launch us into our purpose. And the truth is, our purposes lie in our tribe and lie in our people. Some of you may have seen or you may be familiar with the Lone Ranger. We know that the Lone Ranger had as his sidekick Tonto. We know the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had Timothy. Esther had Mordecai. And Ruth had Naomi. I'm often asked, maybe it's because of my position in a church, but I'm asked by many people, sometimes it's people that are new converts, the new, new ones that just, that just developed and came into a relationship with God Almighty. And then some I'm asked by others who have been in a relationship with, with Him for a long time. But the question I'm asked is, what am I called to do? What's next? It's as if the ones that have been walking with Him for a long time, it's like there's an awakening. And I see that more and more, and I'm excited about it. What's next? What am I to do? What is my purpose? And we know that the New Age movement, we just sense that people want to know what they're called to do, what their purpose is, even non-Christians. Psychic hotlines, the nun, they're, they're ringing off the hook. You got people, I was actually flipping through my television the other day and I saw there's a, there's a, a reality series on the, of the, where they're falling around this psychic. It blew my mind. And there are books that have been written. Rick Warren, he wrote a book, and I'm sure most of us probably have this book. It's an excellent book, The Purpose Driven Life. And it sold millions of copies to people who are in search of their purpose. Our purpose is important, and we should be seeking our, our purpose. But first, we need to be asking, who are we supposed to be with? Because we understand that we won't go far until we understand that, until we find our tribe, the right tribe. Think about this. We often talk about the gifts that God has placed in us in this church, and we celebrate that. And, we, and, we're, and it is our effort, I'm telling you, it's our effort to honor that more and more and more. And we'll continue to talk about it. We, we identify that God has placed within each one of us a gift, a special, a unique gift. He's placed it in us, and we're going to celebrate that. And oftentimes what we do with that gift is we use it almost in a competitive way to make ourselves look better and I'm, I can do this better than you, and almost in a competitive way, but the way we should be managing that is we should be taking that gift and complimenting the person that we're with, the people that are in our tribe. You know, if God had gifted you with the gift to be a finger, let's say, your giftings, you are, you're unique, you have a finger, but what if you said, I don't want my people to be the hands, I want my people to be the knee. Think about that. Fingers on knees don't work too well. They get in the way. They get broken because they get, they get banged and beat up. But the reality is the finger needs to be connected to their people, and their people are the hand and the other fingers. And it can, when, the pe when the finger, when the, those who are gifted with the finger, when they find their calling, they, they find their people, and, they, and it comes together, then the body can function well. We know Paul the Apostle talked about the body of Christ as being a many-membered body. And then when we get it right, when we get our people right, and we connect with the right people, then we can be effective in the gifting that God has for us. If we're an eyeball, we can't say, I want to be part of the, the people that, are, that resonate down here at the foot. doesn't make sense, does it? But I, I look at people in the church. They, they are misfitted 
because they refuse to be with who and refuse to seek it out to see who they're called to be with, the people, their tribe. We're called. We have purpose. And that purpose is to influence the world, and we can't do it alone. The story of Ruth is a, is a story that beautifully exemplifies this. Mordecai was a man. He was a prince of Israel. And he had a wife. Her name was Naomi. And he had two sons, Malan and Kilian. And during this time that he decides, he decides that he eventually decides he's going to move his family from Bethlehem. He was a part of the tribe of Judah. He's going to move them from Bethlehem to Moab. Because in Moab, he hears that there's prosperity, there's growth, there's things happening, there's provision. He wasn't experiencing that in Bethlehem. There was famine in the land. And so he packed his family up and they head off. And shortly after they arrived, um, Elimelech, he dies, he passes away. So there's Naomi with her two sons. And then her two sons, they fall in love with two beautiful Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. About 10 years pass, Orpah and Ruth are married to the sons. About 10 years passes and the two sons pass away. So Naomi finds herself, she's stuck in this foreign land, foreign people with two daughter-in-laws and no money. She's aged. She has no way to provide for herself. So she decides and, and she hears about what God is doing. The favor is back on Bethlehem, so she decides she's going to go back and perhaps there's a distant relative that can help her, that can support her, and she can be with her people again. And she looks to her two daughters-in-law and she says, look, this is what is in it for me, but for you, you go back to your homes and you stay with your people and with your gods. And this is where we pick the story up in Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 13. I'm going to read quite a bit of this passage, so just bear with me. It all has, has relevance. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Why should I go on? Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. What a hopeless state she finds herself. And the passage, the next four, five verses that I'm going to read are the ones that really are the point for tonight. In verse 14 it says, And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go go with her, she said nothing more. 
And so here we have Ruth who is determined. She has, she has entered into a covenant relationship and she is determined to, to resist the practice of the day. She's, re, she's refusing to allow those practices to dictate to her what her destiny is. And she insisted on staying with Naomi. She had found in Naomi her people. She was determined. She saw something. There was something in Naomi that resonated with her that said, you are me now. We're one. We're, we are together. We will fight together. Think of it. Naomi had nothing whatsoever to offer to Ruth. She had no money. She had no, no fame, no fanfare. She didn't, she didn't have a future. She didn't even have any hope. She even said in the passage that we read that God is shaking his fist at me. She had no hope to offer to her. But Ruth was in this because she had made a covenant relationship. And we just read that Ruth had said, may death be the only thing that separates us. She was not just in it to be a wife to her deceased husband. She wasn't in it to just be a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. She had made a commitment and she wasn't seeking what she could get out of that relationship. She was seeking rather, and this is what people who make a covenant relationship do. They seek rather what they can offer the relationship. They come from a position of strength. They, they, they come from a position where I, I'm, they say, I'm going to control me. I'm going to control my thoughts, my words, my actions, my behavior. And you control you. You control your words and your thoughts and your behaviors towards me. And together we will commit to one another. We will contend with one another. We're not going to agree on everything. But I am committed to you. I know that you can't offer me anything, but I know that God has brought us together. You are my people. And there's great strength in that. Unfortunately, the generation, the culture that we live in, this time that we live in, we've exchanged the power of that covenant that I just described for instant gratification. But the reality is, is you can't get from lust what you can get from true love. You can't get, lust is cheap and it doesn't cost anything. But true love is costly but it's such, there's so much strength in it, and the relationship is so much stronger. The reason, and there are many reasons, but some of the reasons people have exchanged this, made this exchange, is because they want to be able to control the outcome of their relationship with the person. They want to be able to, when, whenever you say, I'm going to control me and you control you, what you do is you just take away all your bargaining power. You take away all the leverage. And you basically give it to the other person. This spirit is a spirit that, is, that we can refer to as the Judas spirit. We just came from a, a time of celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And we're grateful to him. But that all kicked off because Judas decided that he was going to exchange something for the life of Christ. And so we see that, that spirit, that the way Judas operated, he, he was in it. He said, in that relationship, what can I get from this relationship? He was a false apostle, and we know that he betrayed Christ with a kiss. He wanted the intimacy that you would receive in, in, a, in a kiss, but he didn't want the covenant. 
He was in the relationship for what Jesus could do for him. And, and we, we realized that, that when he realized that Jesus was about to require something of him, that there was going to be a cost and it was, there was going to be sacrifice to him, he was willing to offer a betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. He didn't want the relationship because it was about to cost. And we see that Judas and Orpah, they have something in common here. In rabbinic literature, a little bit of a historic per perspective in the, the Midrash, the rabbis say that Orpah was, her given, was not her given name. Her given name was Herapha. I know I'm mispronouncing that, but I challenge anyone to correct it. Only if you have a doctorate in, in Hebrew and Greek, I'll, I'll listen to you. But Orpah, the name Orpah that was a given name, it's believed that it was, it was a given name to her. And what that means, it, what it means is threshed in Hebrew. Threshed. And she was probably, it's believed that, that after this time, after her husband passing and after the departure of her with, with Naomi, it was, it was believed that she lived from that point on in a lifestyle of promiscuity. And so she went out. We know, actually, the, the history tells us that she eventually, she married a giant. She had four giants as sons. And they all fought against God and the children of Israel. One of them carried the name Goliath. Yes, the very same Goliath that we know King David fought and killed on the battlefield. Orpah, like Judas, kissed Naomi goodbye. But Ruth clung to Naomi and she made a covenant with her and Ruth she was we know that we just talked about she was in a relationship for she wasn't in a relationship for what she could get out of it and what happened to Ruth next is stunning we know that Ruth and Naomi they left there they left the the the, the country the land of Moab and they went back to Bethlehem and they went there they they were poor they had nothing and the tradition of of that time what would happen is the the landowners, they would send the harvesters out into the field and the harvest would go out and they would intentionally leave bits of the fruit of, of whatever was being harvested behind so that the poor could come behind those harvesting and they could reap what was left so that they could live off that. It was hard, but it was a means. It was a way for them to, to have some substance. And one day, Boaz, he's walking through the field, and he looks out, and he sees this woman, and he's like, oh, this is a new woman. Who is this? And he goes to the harvesters of the field, and he says, who is this woman? And they said, oh, that's, that's uh, Ruth. She is, she's a widow. She's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And he understands the story because, you know, it's, it's, it, they're all connected. It's kind of like Beckley. We all know what everybody else is doing, right? So, so they, they, he goes, oh, and he, so he brings her in, and he shows her kindness. And there was a connection there. There was something he was drawn to her. And he told the men, make sure you look out for her. And when you're thirsty, when you go draw water from the well for a drink and you sit in the shade, I want you to pull her with you. And I want you to sit. I want you, and he's telling her, I want you to sit with them and I want you to refresh yourself. And he told the men, make sure you drop extra. And he gave her food to take back to Naomi. And they had food and extra provision. And in time passed, and Naomi gives Ruth these instructions. She goes, now it's time. I want you to do this tonight as he lays down out in the field. I want you to lay at his feet. And when he comes to and he recognizes you and you, you identify yourself, here's what you say. I want you to say to him, spread, spread your cover over me. 
In that time, what she was basically asking for, it was a polite way for a consummation of marriage. She was saying, I want you, I, I desire that, that you be my kinsman redeemer. And Boaz, he fell in love with her and, and he went and he made all the provision necessary to make Ruth his wife. And they're in love. He's crazy about her. They get pregnant. And here's where it gets real good. Ruth gives birth to a son whose name is Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of King David. And we know that this is the family line. This is the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. So let's recap what we just, the information we just received. Orpah left Naomi with a kiss. And she was never mentioned in Scripture again. We know that Orpah, she had four giants who fought against God. Ruth, on the other hand, clung to Naomi. And she made a covenant with her. Ruth laid foundation that allowed her to enter into history and break into the lineage of Jesus. She forged this legacy that will last in eternity and includes the Son of God, and that's just exciting. All because of a connection. All because of finding and fighting for and making a covenant relationship with Naomi. There's an old adage that is based on Proverbs uh, thirteen twenty. It says, show me your friends. There we go. I'm actually going to start to sing now. I've got the anointing now to sing. I've got Jared's mic. Proverbs 13.20, the, the adage says, Show me your friends, and I will show you your destiny. And it's impossible for us to escape the fact that our future lies in our tribe. Yes, we do. We, we look to God. We seek Him, and He gives us purpose and direction, and we cling to Him. But God also has designed us that we should need one another, and we should cling to, and we should fight for one another. He made it that way. Would Paul have become an apostle if Barnabas had not taken hold of him, as referred to in Acts chapter 9? Barnabas took hold of him when he was young in his faith. And is it possible that Barnabas was the one who inspired Paul to write as many as 13 books in the New Testament. And then later when Paul and Mark kind of had a falling away and Mark said, and, and Paul said, no, Mark, you're not coming with me on this trip. And it was Barnabas who put his arm around Mark and he pulled him in as he was, and it says, and, and actually in Acts 15 it says it, that Barnabas took hold of Mark and discipled him. And it was Mark that wrote another book of the New Testament. Barnabas is not one that has received credit for writing any books in the New Testament. But he has discipled and he has mentored two of the most prominent 
authors of the New Testament. Do we think that Esther could have become the queen if it wasn't, if it weren't for Mordecai? When Jesus sent out the disciples into the world, he sent them out in no less than two at a time. And the disciples, they followed the same example and the same pattern as they sent out teams. They sent out people together. And tonight, the last thought that I have and I want to share with you and, and leave with you is that the people around us awaken the purposes that lie dormant within us. When we find our people, when we find our tribe, we discover our purpose. Amen? I'm going to ask that just for the next, just, it's 8.10, so we're a little early. And I'm going to ask that you would just, just for a moment, if you could just close your eyes. You know, one of the things that we do in church is we, we take time. We, we almost always, Pastor, one of Pastor Ray's things, and it looks different in every church. But one of the things that we do is we'll have, we'll have, we'll ask each other to go around and high five someone or hug someone or say hello to someone. And I think that part of our service gets lost. Because when we truly understand that it's the relationship that has strong value as much as it is, as much as it is the gifting and the calling that God has on our lives, the to-do, then I think when we understand that, what we're going to do is we're going to take that time in our service and not just in our service, but when we come and go to church and not just on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, but in between. When we understand that, that it's as much who we do life with, who we connect with, as it is what we do, I think when we grab hold of that, we'll change the way we move. It seems to me that in America, we have this idea that I can be a maverick, I can be cavalier, I can do this on my own. But God never intended it to be that way. He wants us to be connected. And the only way we can truly fulfill our destiny and our purpose is if we are connected to the right people. And so tonight as you're sitting there, I, I, wanna, I want us to, I want to just take a moment, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer, but I want us to take a moment, and I just, I want you to reflect on the people that you feel that God has called you to. The people that, they're, they're, they're just, there's just something about them that draws you. And next week we're going to look at what that might, we're going to give you specifics as to what that might look like. Different groups, different interests and those types of things. But I know that I'm speaking to a group of people that has been drawn by God to different ones. So just quietly for the next couple minutes, just Allow God to open your eyes to see who your people are.
Father, speak to us. Speak to us. God, when I am the finger, draw me to the hand. As I am an eye, Father, draw me to the head. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. God, more than any other thing that you've ever revealed to us, Father, we ask right now that you would reveal to us our people, our tribe. Father, I pray as a leader of this body that you would start to just draw people together to one another. That we would be a body of believers that are many tribes that serve and follow one purpose and one vision. That just like the children of Israel, who were 12 tribes, but one great nation, that we would be many tribes in this body, but one great body, influential, strong, and powerful in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses, in our governments, in all of the seven mountains that we would be a strong and mighty and influential force. I feel right now that I just need to release some people because there have been moments in your life where you've just, you've, you've known that we love everybody. We're not talking about whether we love somebody who's not of our tribe or not. We're talking about kingdom connections here. But there are moments, there are some people where it's like, it just doesn't fit right. Yes, I love them. I, 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 I will do anything for them. I will lay my life down, but their purpose is not my purpose. Their direction is not mine. And I just want to say, I feel God is just saying that He releases you from those. That you do not need to feel condemned or ashamed. But you just need to release them. He's called you to your people. It doesn't have to look like everybody else. It's not going to look like everybody else. It's impossible for us to think that we can connect with everybody equally. So stop trying. You're released. Find your people, your tribe. Contend for them fight for them. Make covenant relationship with them. Relationships that, that say, I'm here for you. Though I may never get anything, I'm here for you. I'm connected because God is bringing us together. And I pray for an awakening 
and excitement. That there would be a rash that would break out of covenant relationships. It's healthy. Father, we thank you tonight that you make some fingers, that you make some eyeballs, that you make some kneecaps, that you make some bellies. God, I'm glad that you didn't make us all the same with all the same goals and purpose and all the same to do. But that, God, you made us all differently and unique. And I pray, Father, that you would draw us together, that you would bring your body together, that this would be a revival hub, that this would be a place that, the, that is knitly and correctly and healthily formed and fitted together. That there'd be wholeness here. And I'm proclaiming as that happens that our physical bodies, the disease and the health issues and problems that we have will begin to align itself. As we begin to align ourselves and connect ourselves in the right and the proper way, that our physical bodies would begin to, to receive healing and the sickness would begin to disappear. And that this would be a place of healing. Proclaim that. Could you stand to your feet? Our God is so good. Do you love Him? Amen. I want to challenge us tonight, and this is it. I want to challenge us tonight. That when we have moments where we greet one another... When we, when we come together, we're high-fiving or we're going across the room or whatever it is that we're doing. Make it meaningful. Give it purpose. And when you see each other on the streets, don't look away like, oh gosh, is that them? Oh gosh, I hope that's that person. I, I hope they don't, they, did, did they see me? If they didn't see me, I can go ahead. and they, Let's make a beeline to one another. We're, look around you. We're our people. This is our tribe. Are you getting anything out of this? Do you agree with this? Is this good? Are we together with this? Yeah? Amen. Our God is good. Well, I just want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. It's such a blessing. I love getting together. I don't know about you guys, but I love it. And so I'm grateful to you. And Father, I just pray a blessing over your people. Let them have an amazing rest of the week. Father, let this, this warm, sunny days, let them continue. Give us dryness, but we need wet, so we need rain too. God, I just speak blessing over your people. In your name we pray and give thanks, and everybody says amen. amen. Bless you.